This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thanks so much for being here today. All right. I'm so excited about this guest. Kellen Taylor joins me today. And I don't know about you, but I am stoked to see what Kellen is about to do at the Olympic trials in the marathon. This is Kellen's third appearance on my podcast. She came on way back in episode 125 in 2018. We did a live show with the New York Roadrunners in 2019 with Sarah Hall and Roberta Groner. And then she came on the podcast, episode 229, right before the Olympic trials when she sat down with her teammates, Steph Bruce and Alphine Tulimak. That's a great one to go listen to if y'all are interested in some trials inspiration. I interviewed the three of them the day before the Olympic trials in 2020. It was pretty cool. Uh, So I'm excited to have Kellen on again right before the trials this year in 2024. If you don't know Kellen, she's been running with NAZ Elite with Hoka for years. She's been on that team since it was founded with Coach Ben Rosario. Now they have a couple new coaches, Jenna Weirden, who's been on this podcast. She was episode 453 in my coaching series, if you want to learn more about her story. But Kellen has had multiple top 10 finishes at the New York City Marathon. She's a 224 marathoner. She is the mom of four. She gave birth to a baby girl a little over a year ago, and she ran her first postpartum marathon this past fall in New York City, where she was the top American running 229.48. She's going to tell you a little bit about that race and her feelings about it in this episode as well. We talk about that. We talk about training, motherhood, of course, and what she's feeling like going into these Olympic marathon trials. If you are going to the Olympic trials in Orlando, I hope to see you there. I'm gonna be doing a couple things here and there. It's not totally set in stone, but we'll let you know as soon as we have everything figured out. And then I'm popping over to Jacksonville for the Donna Marathon weekend. I'd love to have you join me for that. I'm doing the half marathon and that is Sunday. So I'm just gonna drive over in the afternoon on Saturday and run that race on Sunday morning. If you wanna join me for that, it's one of my favorite weekends of the year. You can still register breastcancermarathon.com. Use the code Lindsay10 for 10% off your registration. And we're gonna have an after party on Sunday. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Follow along on Instagram. My Instagram is lindsayhind626 if you want to learn more about what's going to be going on at the Donna Marathon and at the Olympic Trials. All right, friends, please enjoy my conversation with Kellen Taylor. All right, friends, today on the podcast, we have Kellen Taylor joining us. Hey, Kellen. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. What are you uh, sipping on over there? Oh, some coffee. No coffee. (laughs) Like I I said earlier, it's been a day. We basically had like, you know, had a sick kid this morning. So then had to do like schedule a sick visit, which is always fun and throw that into the schedule of chaos and then go to my run and then end up having a nail in my tire. So my tire is like deflating as I'm going for my run. So then I have my husband come 
fix the tire while I'm running. It's not ready. Take his truck. Go to the sick appointment. Get that oh. all messed with. And then now we're here. So. <laughs> Did you have to move your workout? No, we didn't have a workout today. Um, mm. It was just it was just a run. I didn't have time to get all of it in. But meh, that's how it goes sometimes. Um, I got to talk to Lauren earlier this week. I'm getting all the NAZ interviews nice. lined up. Yeah, it was fun. Um, so how are you feeling going into the trials? Um, you know, I think I'm in kind of a funny space right now. Um, I went into this segment, uh, probably the fittest that I've ever been. Um, my New York build was, I would say probably my best build to date. Um, some of the stuff that I did was really incredible. Um, and then it just didn't really get to be shown off on race day, Mm. which was kind of a bummer, but then maybe kind of like, a little bit of a thing where it's like, okay, well, you still have that in the tank for this trials build. And then, you know, going into that race, um, having that gone completely to the well, um, for the entirety of the race, I guess. Um, I was very yeah. tired. I was very tired at the end. I'm not saying that I was like, you know, jogging it in, um, even if that's what it looked like, but, um, yeah. So the first half of this segment went really, really well. I was doing fantastic workouts. And then, you know, as it seems a lot of people are, I got hit with a pretty crummy sickness. Um, and it just really knocked me out. Um, I was basically out for like a solid week, um, super high temperature. And then mm. that went away. And then I ended up getting a horrible cough. And then a horrible cough went away. And then my lungs basically were just garbage. So I'm just coming out of it. So it's been a month. Well, thank God coming out of it now though. Yeah. I mean, fortunately I'm coming out of it and I've still been able to do work. Um, it's not like I wasn't able to do workouts. It was really just that one week where I didn't get in what I should have. Um, so yeah, I'm starting to feel like myself. So, you know, hoping that these next few weeks can go really well and, um, I can kind of have a glimmer of what I was before the sickness and, you know, kind of put my, put my nose in it on race day. Like I kind of had intended on doing in the first place. How do you feel about talking about that? Cause I feel like most people have probably battled or are battling some sort of sickness leading into the trials, but like, do you want your competitors to know like that, that you were walking through that or whatever? I mean, it's life, right? <laughs> like yeah. I, I think that you would probably get, you know, a mixed bag, Um, depending on who you're talking to, some people don't want to share like that weakness or like, you know, that point Mm -hmm. where it's like, Oh, well now I've got something on you, but it's like, okay, it's still reality. It still happened, (laughs) you know, so you can, you can try and hide it, but the reality is, is that it still happened. Um, so to me, no, it doesn't bother me. It's like workouts, all that stuff. I don't care if you know, (laughs) it is what it is. Um, yeah. I don't have anything to hide. Um, and you know, I'm still going to show up on race day and do what, whatever I can do. Well, and you guys are notorious for sharing your workouts. Like you guys don't hide. NAZ does not hide their workouts and the work that they're doing. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody's a little bit different, but I just don't, I don't think that it, nobody's doing anything that's super magical. You know, it's not, it's not rocket science. You're just getting out and you're grinding, you're doing the work and other yeah. people are doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, you mentioned New York. And for those listening who didn't follow New York as closely as maybe I did or other people, like the race was slow, like from the get go. And like you guys essentially raced a 10 K at the end. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about like what I know that w- that's history now, but like what was going through your mind through that race, knowing that you had such a good build and you were 
really set up to run a strong race? It was frustrating. Um, and you know, I, I can be frustrated, but in reality, I could have done whatever I wanted to do. I just chose Mm. not to. Um, Mm. so at the end of the day, like my frustration is just at myself. Um, but in the race, I was frustrated at the fact that there were all these phenomenal women that like, you know, they could break that course record, you know, scoop up that 50 K bonus and like, you know, go about their day 50 K richer than they would have originally been. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, they didn't want to do that. And basically it just seemed like they were keying off of me, which at some point in the race, I was like, I'm not your carrot. I'm not doing this so that you guys can just like, I can pace you or I don't know. You don't feel like you have to do any of the work. So that's when I started to just kind of like fall back and just like kind of key off of them a little bit more. Um, It wasn't me going out and like taking charge or like leading the race as I think a lot of people saw it it was more so Mm. me being like no thank you I don't want to play this game um but you know when I look back on it like after the fact you know going against those women the last 10k it was like I can't do that yeah (laughs) you know like I think that if I had had I wouldn't say my last 10K was strong by any means. Um, I'd finished workouts with super fast 10K, like finishing a 10K super fast. um, And that day just didn't happen to be one of them. Um, So I think that I certainly could have done better in that regard. But, you know, I I think if I had went back, I probably would have just went and done my own thing. Would you have? Probably. But that's so hard because in the moment, like you have to make those decisions like as they're happening and like, are you're not thinking about like, am I going to regret this? Like that's so challenging. But you also said like, looking back, maybe since you didn't like go all the way to the well, that whole race, maybe, maybe that's in your tank really for the trials. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can look at it both ways. Like would I have finished higher if I had went, you know, and done my own thing? Probably. Would I have had a better time? Absolutely. Um, (laughs) but yeah, maybe I would have been a little bit more beat up and been in a different, well, (laughs) I mean, it's kind of tough (laughs) to say now since I was just sick, but, um, but yeah, it could have set me back a little bit in that regard. So, you know, it is what it is and it happened and I'm glad that I did it and got a marathon under my belt. Um, and it wasn't a complete train wreck. So (laughs) tell me about like, you're now the mom of four, which welcome to the club. Welcome to the yeah, club. Gosh. <laughs> um, I just feel that your life and training and everything that you do, it looks different from so many people who we're going to see out on that course. I mean, there are other moms out there, like, right, Sarah Vaughn. Like, there's other moms of multiple kids out there. Sure. Um, but I do feel like your life looks a little bit different and I almost feel like you have your blinders on a little bit more. Like I'm getting my work done. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And then I'm going, you know, home and taking care of all my kids and all that. Um, I'm curious, like, where do you see yourself in this like mix of women? Um, like competitively, is that what you're asking? I guess I worded that so weirdly. I just feel like everybody kind of like knows what everybody's doing. But when I think of Kellen Taylor, I think of you just being like, I'm getting my work done. I'm not even paying attention to what's going on out there. (laughs) Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of true. Um, You know, I've always been kind of like, I'm all in when I'm there and then I'm all in on the next thing. You know, Mm. I don't like to sit and 
dink about afterwards. I've always got something to do. Like, you know, tomorrow we have a, a marathon long run. So we've got 26 miles with like six mile push. Wow. And basically going straight from that down to Phoenix for soccer because we have a soccer tournament. So it's just, and that's what I did last segment too for New York. It's same exact thing. It was like, okay, do the thing and then get in the car and then go down to a soccer game, (laughs) you know, which is certainly not ideal. But I just feel like if you sit and think about, you know, what everybody else is doing or I don't know, even what you have to do the next week with like your training, if you do that all day long, then it just is draining. Like it's extra, it's an energy waster. So I like to have my things. And when I'm running, I'm running. And when I'm not, I'm absolutely not, you know, I'm Mm. not really thinking about it. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, the hundred other things that I have to do. Yeah. I remember so, so um, specifically when I interviewed you at the New York Roadrunners, I did that motherhood panel. It was you, um, Roberta Groner and Sarah Hall. And Mm -hmm. We had asked you, I think you were, you had just started fostering. And I remember coach Ben was being like, I don't know how she does it, why she does it, all these things. And you said something, I should have listened back, but you said something along the lines of like, like I'm chasing, I'm going to be chasing this dream for a long time, but like, I'm not going to not live the other parts of my life that I want to do while doing that. Because like, I mean, what, 10 years will go by and then you just didn't do it because you were chasing this other dream. How do you think about those things now? Now that you've been doing it for a while, you've been fostering for a while, now you've adopted your kids and you had another baby. Like, geez, what do you what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, if I could go back, I probably would have had another kid a little bit sooner, honestly. Um, because it is like you said, and even even though I said it, you know, it's not necessarily something that I did, um, like we fostered, but we also did want to have more kids, but it's always like, okay, well, after this, after I do this, you know, there's never a perfect time ever. Never. Like there literally will never be a perfect time. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be a reason, an excuse, um, something else that's on, you know, something else that's important that you want to do. Um, but now looking at it, you know, like we do like have all these little people running around <laughs> and it's chaos. But, you know, I feel really fortunate that we do have all of that. You know, it's mm. I feel like my life is so much fuller having that and not just being like I have running. You know, I don't I've I've I think that I do well when there's other things going on besides just running. Does your oldest daughter, is she, how old is she now? She's 13, teenager. Does she, does she babysit? What does that look like? No, not, I mean, every once in a while, you know, I'm I'm kind of of the belief where it's like, you have these kids and they're not her kids. It's not her job. Yeah. It's not her job. And every once in a while I'll be like, Hey, you have to watch, you know, our five-year-old for yeah the morning or something like that but no not very often are we like hey watch all the kids while mom and dad go out and have a drink or something like yeah um not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that that's just not how we how I think that it should be Um, yeah so she's 13 five and then how old are the other two two and one right because like a 13 year old watching a five-year-old for a little bit is very different I mean watching a two-year-old and a one-year-old that is that's chaos. That's different than a five-year-old. 
I agree. I think that it's really hard. So to be able it's to very be like, hard to be like, hey, do you want to watch watch everybody have a good time? Because yeah, I know that kids. I get super stressed. So I can't imagine being thirteen and then ha- being thrown into that and like, what am I supposed to do? Everybody's crying. Yeah. Nobody listens. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so the younger two are just a year apart. Mm-hmm. Almost exactly okay. like a year and three weeks, I think. What did that look like, though? Like you had the youngest, you were fostering and then and adopted the, the middle two. Mm-hmm. When did the adoption go through and when did the you have the baby? Um, so her adoption took a long time um, for some odd reason. I mean, it's really not that odd, I guess. But um, her adoption went through in March. But we had, okay. we had Keegan, the youngest, in December, end of December. Before? Yeah. Not the next December. Okay. Wow. That is so cool. We had had her since she was seven weeks old, though, so it wasn't. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She's big sister. She's been around. Yeah. Um, And then pregnancy-wise, this is um, 12 years later than your first pregnancy. So, um, I mean, I know from my first pregnancy to my last, which was only a six-year difference, like – it was a lot harder, just like I was more tired and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And my body just, I don't know, just didn't seem as easy. So I'm curious 12 years later what that was like for you. Yeah. I mean, I was obviously coming from a very different place too. Um, I had just graduated college when I had mm-hmm. my oldest. Um, so training was kind of something that was like, eh, you know, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. You know, it didn't really matter. Um, and now, you know, 12 years later, like this is my job. So I felt like – not necessarily like obligated, but I felt like it was a little bit more more important to kind of keep it uh, relevant, present mm-hmm. um, as something that I'm doing. So if my body felt good, then I was going to do it or at least temp- attempt it, you know, and if it didn't work out, that was fine. Um, but for me, it was always like, okay, you know, try and do something today and just see what happens. Um, you can modify, you can completely scratch it, but you can at least try. Um, and I did that throughout basically the whole entire pregnancy and ran throughout the whole thing. But like you said, I was more tired. That's something that I absolutely noticed. Um, but I was pretty lucky. I still had a very, very easy pregnancy and was able to run basically until the day that I had her essentially. Um, so I, I was lucky. I think that I'm kind of an anomaly in the the pregnancy world, but, um, I know that it can be very, very different for some women. Um, I got to see you pregnant at Steph's party. You were so cute. What was that like being at the New York City Marathon pregnant, though, not getting to participate? It was so weird. Um, I mean, at least I ran the 5K, so that was fun. Oh, that's um, true. Yeah. It was It was something to where I kind of got like, I mean, I didn't really get competitive per se because I was like, okay, this doesn't matter. But it was fun <laughs> to get out there and be able to like run a little bit faster and try and do something. Um, I don't know try and do something. Um, cause what, I was on the what did you race run there? I, did. I think I ran what? seven seventeen ten maybe. And you were how pregnant? 32 weeks. Okay. I do remember, I do remember seeing you run by actually, cause I did spectate mm-hmm. the 5k. That's so fun though. Yeah, it was fun. Um, and watching the race was an experience, you know, it was that hot year. It was humid and yes. warmer than you would ever want it to be. Um, which might be Orlando. Um, <laughs> so it was one of those where I was like, Mm, I'm okay not racing this year. But then it's also like you go in your head and you're like, 
but maybe I would have done well, you know, like uh-huh. you go back and forth to where it's like, you know, playing yeah. devil's advocate. Well, like I'm happy to be like not racing, but then it's like, maybe I would have done well. Sure. Um, yeah. Like maybe you're the person that could have fought yeah. that heat. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then you go back and run New York this past year. And we talked about that race a little bit. Did, did spectating the year before though, like give you like a fire to be like, I want to be on the start line next year? I mean, New York's one of my favorite marathons. Mm. So um, I'm always happy to show up there and, you know, give it my best go. Um, I think that they just do such a fantastic job and the crowds and the course and just kind of everything about it um, has made it one of my favorite races that I get to run. Hey, everybody, a quick break here to thank Prevenex for supporting this podcast. Y'all know I have been a big Prevenex fan for a long, long time. They have a great protein powder that I love to take after a hard workout. It is a super easy way to get fast nutrition in my body. Their products are clean. The protein powder, the Neurofi Plus, it has minerals and vitamins that you don't see in a lot of protein powders. It's third-party tested and made with the highest quality ingredients. I also do want to let you know about um, the Muscle Health, which is a new product from Prevenex that I've been using. Uh, I've been strength training quite a bit, and as many of you probably know, as you age, your muscle breaks down. It uh, it breaks down like I think it's like three to five percent every decade once you hit thirty. And so I just turned forty, so I am upping my strength training hard. And I know that creatine is helpful for energy, strength, and muscle gains. So I'm all about protecting my muscle breakdown, fueling my muscle energy, and having strength and power. And so I've been taking this every single day. The key is you wanna shake it up with some really cold water. It has a little bit of a tart taste, but as long as the water is cold, I think it tastes refreshing. I usually drink it in the morning after I have my coffee. Um, You can learn more about what it's all about. I'm gonna actually link the blog post that Prevenex has up about what is creatine and how it's helpful and important, especially as you age. You all can save 15% off at Prevenex if you use the code LINDSEYSTRENGTH, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y STRENGTH. Even if you've used my other codes before, um, this one will get you 15% off your whole order as long as you have the muscle health in your cart. All right, let me know if you have any questions specifically about it. Maybe I'll do a Q&A on my Instagram. Um, all right, friends, please enjoy the rest of my conversation with Kellen Taylor. So you mentioned Orlando and the heat, like, oh, that's what it could be. What are, How are you feeling about that? And have you done anything special with your training to accommodate for that? Um, you know, haven't really done much yet. Um, we're working with like people that know far more than I do about the subject and they're telling us all the things that we need to do. And that starts kind of next week. Um, but for me, you know, I've always kind of been like, you know, it is what it is. We'll prepare as best as we can and show up on race day and do what we can do. Um, if it's hot, it's hot. If it's not, then okay. Um, and really Orlando could be anything, you know, it could be 40 degrees and raining. Like if, even if you look at the weather this week, it's like, it's 61 day and then it's 75 the next day. And it just kind of goes all over the place. So you really have no idea what's going to happen. Um, but there is the possibility that it's going to be hot and we'll, we'll be as prepared as we can be. Now in the trials in 2020, you had a good race, would you say? Yeah. 
<laughs> you tell me. Um, you know, 2020 was such a <laughs> dumb, it was so stupid. <laughs> um, I, 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 I had my year. stress fracture, so. Mm. Um, I would say given sixth, the situation. Right? Or fifth, you were fifth. Sixth, sixth. I was eighth. Sixth? I was eighth, eighth that year. I was sixth in 2016. Um, okay. But 2020, I had my stress fracture that I didn't know about um, in my leg. So I guess given That's the right. situation that, sure, it was it was a fine race, but, you know, the goal is always to be the top three. And I think seeing Alephine make it, it made mm. me kind of be like, you should have been there. Um, mm. Not that she wasn't destroying me in workouts, but she wasn't destroying <laughs> me by that much, you know. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you were working, you were doing workouts with her. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, meh, it was fine. <laughs> um, will you think about that at all? Like, the lame question of like, was there anything you learned from that experience that you'll take with you to this experience? I mean, not really. No, I mean, they're completely independent. (laughs) They're completely independent races. And so far, like so long ago that, you know, I'm kind of somebody that like, if I have a race, I'll reflect on it. I'll think about it for like that day. And then it's kind of done. You know, there's only, you can't do anything about it. If there was something like, terrible that happened why did it happen um evaluate it and figure out if you needed to do something different but then just move on there's no point in sitting there and just like you know mulling it over for weeks and weeks and years and I don't know it's it's done (laughs) you are like the most straight shooter person I've ever interviewed you just like (laughs) you're just like it is what it is I like I did has anybody ever told you that um, not really, but I, I know that I'm kind of just like, meh. <laughs> I kind of love it though, because it's like, I feel like people, and I don't mean just in interviews, but just like in life in general, people beat around the bush about something or try to make something like beef it up, like make it seem rosier than it is or have this right. like big, long explanation. It's like, it's kind of just not necessary. And I feel like that's yeah. kind of how you approach life too. Right. I mean, you know, if you think about it, the world that we live in is so uh, media centered and it's like the Instagrams and the Twitters and the Facebooks. And it's like, here, look at my good, shiny life. Everything's perfect. You know, all these things are fantastic. And it's like, well, I'm glad that that's good for you. But I know that's not like that's not your whole life. You know, everybody has crap. Everybody has things going on. So, yeah. um, Yeah. I don't know. I think that it's good to just be like, it is what it is. Like yeah. you said, like, it's fine. It's good if it's good and it's bad if it's bad. Like, if it's bad, that's fine too. <laughs> yeah. Um, talk to me about like, okay, so I, I don't remember if I've talked to you about this, but I specifically remember when I first found out who you are and I was like reading like a Runner's World magazine and I was like, who is this Kellen Taylor? Like, she's a firefighter. Like, this must have been right when you started taking your training like really serious. Uh-huh. Um, probably still in your 20s. Like, gosh, such a different long time ago. So long ago. But now you're in this like veteran crowd, right? Like you're in the group of women who've been doing this for a long time. You've been to multiple Olympic trials. Um, what do you think about like this new, new crop of women coming up? And like this field is so vast. Like there's mm-hmm. the veterans who've been doing it for a long time. There's the the new, new runners, like, um, what do you think about how the running culture and everything has changed since, you know, Kellen Taylor and runner's world magazine firefighter? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that it's cool. I think that it's cool that there's so many women that have kind of, um, been, uh, been able to 
you know, rise up and get, get so fast, so quick. Um, and then it's also cool on the opposite end where it's like, you know, us veterans who are kind of old are still running really fast, you know, like, I don't think that you saw that, you know, 10 years ago, it just wasn't. Mm. And that's not to say that women couldn't do it. I just think that it was like, okay, well, now my career is done. I'm going to have kids or, you know, something that they were putting off because companies weren't supporting them when they were having kids. Um, now they were going to go transition into this other part of life. But now we have companies like Hoka that are supporting you through pregnancy and having children and like doing all these things. So it's kind of like this beautiful marriage to where you can have both and mm. you don't have to pick one or the other. Um, but yeah, it's neat to see so many women running super fast. I think that, um, a big part of it is technology. Um, I think that it'd be silly to think that it's not. Um, you know, I, there are also only so many women that have ran marathons in non-super shoes. Like, if you look at the field, I'd say 95% of them are probably people that have ran their whole career in super shoes. Wow. Um, that's crazy. I mean, that might be wrong, but that's just like, I feel like there's so many because they're young, you know, and yeah. if you're young if you started running marathons, you know, five, six, seven years ago, you were wearing those shoes. So yeah, I think that that's been interesting to see because you are clearly seeing like an uptick in the times of people. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tell me your feelings on that. Like the difference you feel with super shoes. I mean, they're crazy. I wish that I would have been able to have like proven that in New York. Um, mm. because like I said, like I had told people in interviews before that race, like, I think I can run 223 on this course, um, in which is shoes. very fast, which is very fast. Yeah. In super shoes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you notice the difference the second that you put them on. And I think that it would be silly if anybody said that they didn't, or that they didn't attribute like their PRs, or, you know, all the things, um, to that. And it's not necessarily saying that, not saying that you're not doing the work, you're doing the work. It, it just makes it so that you can do more work. Mm. You know, you, your PR is still from grandma's 224. Yeah. Okay. So how do you view that though? Like, cause that you didn't have super shoes when you ran that. So like, will that forever just be like my pre super shoes PR? And like, if you say you go run a 222 one day, like, like, how do you match that up to the 224? You know, I don't think you do. I don't think you, I don't think you mess with it. I think that it's just like, yeah, you can say, I can say like, yeah, sure. I ran 224 pre-super shoe. And then I can say my PR is whatever it is, you know, it just, and that's how I think records should be too. They're not, but they should have asterisks. I think there should uh -huh. be a pre, a pre and a post because they're just not anywhere near the, near the same. I think that it's been such a huge jump that there should be independent records. It wasn't yeah. like a tiny speck of technology. It was a huge, huge jump to where we just saw world records getting beat left and right. And we're still seeing it minutes. Well, yeah. Minutes. Cause it, cause the recovery aspect too, right? I like, I'm like, what would Dina Castor have run in super shoes? Oh my gosh. It would have been insane. It right? Been like insane. 215? She was wearing sandals. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Gosh, that's so, so, so wild. Yeah. I saw in your post, you said shoe technology, good coaching and mom strength got you through either your training for New York or recovering, or I don't remember what post it was, but I was like, oh, I love that. That's so true. <laughs> um, okay. Let's talk about the team a little bit. Uh, coach Jenna, you've got a new coach that came on, Coach Jack. Okay. 
Um, and so you've been training for trials with Alphine, Lauren, Steph's jumping back in workouts mm-hmm. now. Talk to us about what that's looked like. Um, it's been a little, a little bit weird, honestly. Um, the first half I was kind of doing everything by myself. Um, just being a little bit more experienced and having like Alphine come back from her injury. Um, and Lauren just being, you know, a newer marathoner. Um, I was doing more and faster. Um, and then now I feel like we've kind of found like, I I would call it a sweet spot, but it's kind of not a sweet spot because I should be doing stuff faster. But, um, for training wise, it's nice because the last couple of things we've done together. Um, so that's been nice to be able to have, you know, somebody's working hard right next to you, um, doing the same thing. Um, but you know, it would be nice to be able to kind of go back to like 2020 Mm. Alphine, Kellen, um, throw Lauren in there too. If she's going to do a touch, touch more work. Um, she's just lower volume. Um, Yeah. That's what she said. Yeah. Which is fine. And she does, she works super hard and, you know, knocks the stuff out of the park, but, um, usually doesn't do quite the volume as us, but yeah, throw us into like 2020 shape and have us grinding away. Um, I think would be a little bit more fun, but for me coming back right now, it's kind of been like struggle bus, but getting there. I'm on yeah. the bus. I'm on the bus. <laughs> we're just, we're struggling a little bit and trying to, you know, get, get rolling again. Well, you've got a couple of really big weeks coming up that like the, the work is not all, all called in yet. So you've got time to make some progress. Oh yeah. I I know that. I'm not, I'm not super concerned about it. And you know, like I've said, probably 25 times, like it is what it is and you can only do what you can do. So, um, We'll just keep chipping away. (laughs) What about your mind? Like the sharpness of your mind? Like you're going to get to race day, like whatever's happened, your sickness, you've come back. You're going to be at that start line knowing you are a full on contender to make the race. What do you think about like your mind being calloused over these years and like how that'll play into how you run the race? I think that's honestly always been one of my stronger points is just being so level headed. Mm. Um, I've always been a big believer in like the mental part being such a big aspect of the race to where people can completely blow it before they even, before the gun even goes off. Um, just because of how they're thinking, like, you know, they go in just completely stressed and nervous and, you know, way over the top. And I think that can completely destroy your race. Um, and I don't feel like I do that. I think that I'm pretty level headed and, you know, can go in pretty calm and collected, collective and generally make good decisions in the race. Yeah. Well, I want to know like Kellen Taylor on the start line, like, and what's the start line like compared to, you know, like New York and Boston and Chicago, like it's all high stakes, but like for this race, it's like, I, what's, what's the vibe? <laughs> the vibe is very stress. Not, <laughs> not me, but around. Um, yeah, there's a lot of nervous, nervous people and you can feel that energy um, for sure. But to me, I feel like it's not a whole lot different than those other big races. You know, New York is a huge race. Chicago's a huge race. Like these are big, big races where they're televised. You're next to some of the world's best runners. Um, and you do have to go out and, you know, put your best foot forward if you're planning on doing anything special. Um, and you still have to make those tactical decisions. Like it's really not a whole lot different. Um, the only difference is, is that, yeah, I mean, there's Olympic spots on the line, which is huge, but you know, it's still just a race. 
What do you what do you think about the race tactics though? Like, do you think like how in New York everybody went out so slow, like just waiting for someone to do something? Have you thought about how that's going to go down? Like, who's going to take the reins and all that? I haven't really thought about it honestly. I think that that'll be something that we discuss, um, like me and coaches and whatnot, mm-hmm. just to kind of figure out how to you know, approach each situation because that was not something that we had talked about at New York. Like, what if it goes out snail pace? That was not even a thought in my head, you know, because of this field. It was so incredible. Like, I didn't think that was even a possibility. And then that's exactly what happened. And I was like, I don't even really know what to do. Like, do I just go and just run 26 miles by myself until I get caught? Or, you know, something super special happens and I don't get caught? Or do I just hang out with them? Until somebody makes a move at 16 or 22 when it mm-hmm. when it actually happened, you know. Um, so um, I think that is something that we will, you know, throw into the into the cards when we're discussing race tactics. It's just like all the situations. Yeah, and then like at what point in a race like this do you take risks? Do you know what I mean? Like, hmm, it's mile 18, and I'm really hurting, but like this is my time. Like I need to risk, might I blow up? Might I not? But like, I need to go. How do you make those choices? Um, you know, that's a hard thing to answer, honestly, because I feel like it's just like so internal Mm. to where you just know, or at least like, I feel like I always just know what the right decision is. And I mean, maybe sometimes it's not, but it just feels right in the moment. Like this is what I need to do. Um, And yeah, that might be like making a move when somebody makes a move at mile 18 or something like that. Or maybe it's not making the move. I don't know. You know, it just depends. Hey, everybody. Do you want to get the best sleep of your life? Like literally the best sleep of your life? Well, you better make sure you are sleeping with a Lagoon pillow. You take a two-minute sleep quiz and you get matched up with a pillow that is just right for you. whether Whether you're a side sleeper, a back sleeper, a hot sleeper, a cold sleeper. And... I'm telling you, it's the best pillow out there. I am obsessed with my Lagoon pillow. I will never go back to another pillow. And this is something like I had been looking for a good pillow for years and I had never found it. Um, so I'm so excited they're partnering with us again this year on the podcast. Now's a great time to grab yourself a pillow. If you're getting yourself one, grab your partner one as well because they will be uber jealous that you have one and they do not. Just go to lagoonsleep.com slash Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. And you can save 15% off your order at Lagoon. All right, friends, back to the show. Okay, talk to us about Coach Jenna. We we briefly talked about the team a little bit, but like in making decisions in your training and stuff like that, what does that look like? Like when you're coming walking through sickness and and whatnot, how do you make decisions together? Yeah, Jenna's been great. I mean, she basically did my whole New York build. Um, and I I loved it. Um But yeah, going through the sickness was a little bit different because it was so much like, how are you feeling? What do you want to do? Like, Mm. and that's a good thing to ask. Um, But then it's also like you're talking to, I mean, most runners are like type A and they like, they're going to do the work. They want to get it done. They're going to do it. And it doesn't matter like what's happening. They're just going to get it done. And there was a little bit of that where it was like, no, I, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but, you know, did it and it wasn't great. <laughs> or maybe it set me back a touch. Um, 
but you know, she was very good at listening, listening to me and what I wanted and thought that I needed. Um, and then also good at being like, maybe we shouldn't do that yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, speaking of the team, what'd you think about Lauren winning grandma's? Oh, it was awesome. It was so so cool to see. Um, I think that I was in was, uh, maybe I, what, I don't know. I don't remember if I was in Wisconsin or not at that point, but, um, you know, that race, I, I obviously love it. I had such a good experience there. Um, it was so cool to see her just go out on her first one and have such a phenomenal experience, um, run so fast. So yeah, I think that she, I wouldn't be, don't be surprised if she runs really well in a few weeks. Yeah. I'm so excited to see what she does. Yeah. She was like, um, I know it's not normal to feel that good in a marathon, let alone your first marathon, but it sounds like she just was felt so strong the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a great first experience. Right. <laughs> what was your first experience in the marathon? I don't think I've ever heard that story. Yeah, mine was Houston um, back in 2015. So that was before we were even Hoka, Northern Arizona Elite. We were just Northern Arizona Elite. And yeah, I felt really good. I ran 228.40. Um <laughs> How did I not know that? I felt I felt really good for like 23, 24 miles. So it was definitely a good first experience. Yeah, dang. I did not realize your um, debut marathon was that fast. Pre-Super Shoes. So it was like a 226, right? <laughs> um, it was it was pre-NAZ, Hoka, NAZ Elite. Were you working with Coach Ben though? Yep, I was working with Ben. Um, we actually got signed by Hoka uh, like a month or two after that. So. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So this, I'm, this, I'm not saying this is your last Olympic trials, but I'm just also saying you're 37. Like this is a year to make it happen, right? Like maybe you will run the trials again when you're 41. I don't know. Um, how does that feel though? Knowing that you've done this a few times and like, it could be the last time. I don't want to put words in your mouth. You tell me. You tell me what you think about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in the same space that you're saying. Like, it could be. You know, you never yeah. know. Four years is a really long time. Like, when I think back to, like, 2020, like, life was 100% different. You know, I had one child. <laughs> I had one child. <laughs> so, so you know, a lot changes in that time frame. And I think that my training has gotten better. But that's not how it always goes. You know, in four years I could be, I don't know, completely done and not even have interest in doing it. Um, but I would like to think that I'm still going to have a passion for it and still be running well. Um, again, you see women that are 41, 42, 43, like (laughs) they just keep going that are running so fast. Sinead Diver. I always think about her. Yeah. And Lisa Waitman. Incredible. The Australians, they're like killing it. So, you know, I'd like to think that I would be a part of that special crop of women, but, you know, you just can't really say at this point. And I've always kind of said, like, I'm not just going to do this to do it. Like, I'm going to do it if it's going well. I don't want to be, like, on the downward spiral mm-hmm. and end my career. I want to go out and have it be like, that was that was good. Um, so, you know, who knows? But, yes, I do think that this trials is important. Um, mm. It could be my last. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm in such a, like a sweet spot with like how my training has went that 
gosh, I would like to think that I could run with just about anybody. Um, Let's do you know, it. if my, if my A game, if I show up with my A game, then I would like to think that. Yes. What do you think about the whole like Olymp- Olympian conversation? Uh, I think it's Steph that always says like, if that's not part of like what my career looked like, like I'm okay with that. But like, how, how do you feel about accepting that whether it comes or it doesn't come? You know, I'm a little bit different in that regard. I think that it's like one of those things that if somebody asks you what you do and you're like, I'm a professional runner, they're like, huh, that's a thing. And you're like, yeah, that's a thing. Like, and they're like, oh, well, did you go to the Olympics? And I'm like, well, no, I was an alternate. So yeah, <laughs> they're like, wow, that's something. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that that's how most people would define you. Um, mm. And I don't know if I would be exempt from that. I think that Mm. I would like to define myself as that as well. Um, Mm. And that's not to say that like all those accolades that you have that aren't going to the Olympics don't matter because they do, you know, especially with the marathon. It's like you could go and if you podium at New York or Chicago or win or do something super special there, like which is cooler? I don't know. I'd say maybe the major, but you don't get the title of Olympian. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think that it definitely defines your career, at least my career would define it. Um, and I'd be able to feel like I kind of left left the sport accomplished. Mm. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about the majors versus the Olympics, it's like I think about like all of Shalane Flanagan's like accolades and like what do we think about when we think about Shalane? New York. We think about her winning the New York City Marathon. Not that the Olympian thing isn't like also just as massive, but like that's what we think about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tell me about what your kids think about mom and doing all this. This is such a different question for – it's really a question for Kylan. That's your Mm -hmm. oldest, right? Yeah. And then your your five-year-old. Obviously, the one and two-year-old like have no idea. Yeah. Is your five-year-old – are they understanding at all? No, I don't think he understands it at all. And to be fair, he hasn't been around it a whole lot because I got pregnant, let's see, three, four months, four months after we got him. Um, So I wasn't doing, you know, all the big things. He came to New York, so he did get to see that. And I think it kind of made him be like, oh, yeah, she's kind of fast, but he'll still be (laughs) like, I could beat you in a race. And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, but yeah, my 13 year old, absolutely. Um, I think that she's finally come like gotten to the point where she herself runs and she thinks that it's cool that I do it. She would never admit that ever, but she, (laughs) she thinks that it's cool. And, you know, I was told by, I think it was my husband. He said that when I was running New York and, you know, in that front, she was like, oh my God, if mom wins New York, I'm going to be able to go back and tell all my friends. <laughs> I'm like, well, now that makes me feel kind of bad because I clearly didn't win. But it's still like something where it's like, oh, well, she gets it. And she would like, she would be so proud of me if I did something like super huge. Not that she's not proud of me, but you know, she, she would be really proud if I made like the Olympic team. <laughs> I just think about like when I was 13, what all the moms were doing. Cause you had her kind of young, you know, yeah. and it's like, wow, her mom is running with the lead pack at the New York city marathon. <laughs> I didn't know any moms doing that of my friends. Yeah. Same, same, same. So, you know, <laughs> but we do live in Flagstaff, so you True. never know, you never know, but yeah, yeah it is definitely true. a different, different job than most mothers of 13 year olds. 
Well, right. Because when I think about like moms who are running the majors and like going to the trials, most of them that have kids have little kids aside Mm -hmm. from like you and Sarah Vaughn. Sure. I'm trying to think of others that have older kids. So that, that's, a different experience, a different life phase. Um, how's that working out for you, man, though? The preteen, teen, I'm like, I know I have boys, but the the um, pushing away already and all that. It's oh, yeah. Like, gosh, it's a whole nother ball game. Yeah. How old is your oldest? He's 11. Okay. See, that's where I felt like the sixth grade was where I felt like we ran into that where it was like, uh-uh, you're not cool anymore like my friend's. Trump yeah. everything. Yes. And we had like a rough, I would say like six months of where it was like, gosh, what is your problem? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I felt like she kind of came out of it and is now like, she's, she's a good kid. And like, yeah. she, you know, she has moments like we all do. Um, but isn't so much like a butthead anymore. Cause she really yeah. like, I just feel like they <laughs> go through that phase where they're like, gosh, like I just asked you if you wanted food and you just like bit my head off. Yeah. But you know, I think it probably comes in ebbs and flows. So. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned you adopted your son, the five-year-old just right before you got pregnant. Yeah. So how old was he? Um, when he came into our home, he was three and a half. Okay. Can you talk about the difference of that than um, fostering at seven weeks? Like how different it is to bring someone into your home when they've already, they're already formed a little bit of who they are compared to like a seven year, seven week old. Sure. And then I think especially coming from like the foster care system, like it's not, it's not just like, here's this three and a half year old child that had this fantastic life. It's like, here's this three and a half year child, year old child that spent two years of his life in foster care and bounced around a little bit. So, you know, there's definitely some, you know, things that he had and still has, um, emotionally, that and behaviorally that we have to navigate. Um, and you know, it's not, it's not a fun, that's not fun. Um, because it's not their fault. It's not our fault. It's just, you know, how life went for them, which is unfortunate, but, um, so it's definitely harder, I guess. Um, but you know, we have him, he's here and he's a good kid. Um, and then the seven week old, they're half siblings. So it's, it's so funny because, we always say like, holy moly, <laughs> they are like the same person. Like the genetics oh, really? are just like, they do the same exact things. And I'm like, how is this even possible? <laughs> and some of it's like good, cute things. And some of it, I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, with a seven week old, I think that one thing that you find is that it's easier to attach. Um, mm. It's easier to attach to a baby than it is to like a little bit older child. Um, yeah. And you know, you just navigate it. Um, yeah. You figure out what works and what doesn't work and go from there. Um, yeah. But that is something that is absolutely true. Like, give get be given a tiny baby and like, sure, of course, you're going to fall in love and then be given a child that has some behavioral things. And it's like, well, this is a little bit hard, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the phrase I'm sure you've heard? Because people always say like, oh, I could never foster because I would get too attached. And people are like, get too attached. Like that's what the kid needs. They need you to yeah. get attached. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, would you, um, 
Like, what would you say about about fostering to someone who is interested in fostering? Be prepared. Um, like, it's hard. It's going to take a toll on you 100%. Um, you're going to find that the system is 100% flawed in so, mm-hmm. so many ways. Um, and that, you know, there needs to be like, there needs to be change made. And I don't know how to instill that change, but there does need to be changes. Because the way that I saw it after doing it for four years was that the system wasn't in place for the kids, it was in place for the parents. Um, And I think that kind of just like, wore us down, like, (laughs) all the way to the bottom to where we were like, we are absolutely done. And Mm. then we actually got a call about our boy. Um, we had said like, we're done because we just were so over all the politics of it and just completely being disregarded and like, you know, not having a voice or being listened to when we were the ones that were taking care of these children. Um, and then them just being like, well, it's fine. Like, they'll be okay. You're like, but will they, (laughs) will they be okay? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's tough, it's tough, but it's rewarding. So, um, what we always said was we would do what we could when we while we had them, and that was all that we could do. Mm-hmm. Why did you guys want to do that in the first place? Um, the The main reason was because we wanted to have more kids, and I didn't feel like it was the right time in my career. And the foster care system was a place that needed it needed people. Um, so it was kind of like checking two boxes. It was like, mm-hmm. okay, well, we'll help you guys, and we'll you know, grow our family a little bit. So, um, yeah, that's why we did it. And it was certainly a bumpy road and a long road. Um, but you know, all in all, we ended up with, with two good kids. So four kids, Kel and Taylor, (laughs) what does it mean to you to be running the trials as a mom? Like, what do you want your kids to know about you and like what this means to you? For me, being a veteran, a.k.a. old, um, I think that it means like, you know, you don't just quit the second that something doesn't go your way. You keep trying and you keep trying and you keep trying and maybe it doesn't work out, but that doesn't mean that you have to stop trying. Like you can keep trying until you just aren't able to anymore. Um, so I think a little bit of the like the resilience Um knowing that if you want something, you go and you work hard for it. Mm. Are you at least going to get your own hotel room in Orlando? <laughs> I don't actually know. <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure. Because in New York, did you really have a t- hotel room with all of your kids? No, we had an extra one. See, this is where New York is so great. Like Aww. Dory and Kale is so awesome. And like Sam, Grotewald are amazing. And they, the last, so when I did it in 2019, we had a foster baby that we had brought with us. And then this year we obviously had my whole crew and both years they gave us an extra room so that oh, they okay. were able to stay in there with um, my parents the night before, which was helpful. <laughs> Will they all be at the trials? Yeah. Um, what are your last feelings like in these last few weeks, like the last few weeks of hard work leading up to the trials? Like, how are you keeping yourself calm in the chaos? I mean, chaos is my life. So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I feel like I thrive off of the chaos, but, um, you know, I think that approaching each day, each workout, um, everything just kind of one day at a time, one step at a time sometimes. Um, 
and just having faith that everything's going to come together the way that I want it to come together so that on race day, when I show up to the starting line, I know that I'm there and I'm 100% ready and 100% a contender to make that team, you know, and hopefully can, you know, make it happen. <laughs> Finally. Kellen, thank you so much. Of course. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Kellen, for coming on the podcast. That was super fun. If you are not already planning to follow Kellen at the Olympic trials, what are you doing? Uh, you can also follow her on Instagram. She's Kellen underscore Taylor over there. You can find me. I'm Lindsay Hines 626 on Instagram. And you can learn more about this podcast and everything else we talked about in the episode at sandyboyproductions.com. Just click on I'll Have Another and you'll see the most recent episode there. And if you want to sign up for our newsletter over there, that will get these show notes delivered to you once a week so that if we talked about any special books or anything like that, you can just go straight to the show notes and click on that information. Or you can go, you can get it delivered to your inbox, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, thanks so much for being here and I appreciate you so very much. Have a great rest of your day and we'll see you next week on I'll Have Another.